All right, guys, uh, come on in and let's get started. Uh, we've got a lot to cover, not an awful lot of time within which to do it. So get comfortable, relax. If you need to, uh, loosen a tie or whatever. But uh, we've got a topic that is extremely important. Uh, a lot of the people here at uh, ShepCon may not realize its full importance, but those of you who are present may have the privilege and the opportunity of uh, communicating that to them. Now, at the outset, I need to uh, express some appreciation uh, to a number of people. First of all, uh, my son Steve, who uh, took about three to four hours yesterday and took the uh, PowerPoint-type slides that I had and made them far more usable, far more uh, visible. Uh, I'd like to thank, and I see uh, one of them here, uh, the elders and pastors at Grace Bible Church in Hutchinson. Grant Ringler is right there. Uh, I'd had the privilege of being able to bounce some of these ideas off of them when I was first working on it over lunch last October. Two good friends of mine, uh, I can see them sitting one right in front of the other, Ed Wildey and Alex Strauch. Uh, both of them provided incredible encouragement as I was going through this and putting this material together. Um, three other men, of course, uh, Dr. MacArthur, Dr. Varner out at the uh, Masters University, and Dr. Thomas Manton. Uh, you may have never heard of him, but Thomas Manton, uh, as has Dr. MacArthur and Dr. Varner, all three of them have written books that are commentaries on the epistle of James. Uh, for my money, Thomas Manton is the guy uh, on the book of James. Um, we're providing essentially a book in PDF form, and I'll mention this at the appropriate time, that Ed Wiley put together. Uh, there are two books that uh, Alex Strauch has put together. Uh, one, if you devour, if you bite and devour one another. Uh, did I get it right, Alex? That's right. Okay, the other... Yeah. <laughs> the other one, uh, Alex just came out with it this last year. Do not leave home without having picked up a copy or made arrangements for him to send you one. And that is Acts 20. Ravenous wolves are coming. Uh, both have been tremendously helpful in doing this or putting this material together. Scriptures which address the issue of slander and defamation. We must always begin with key portions of the Word of God. The honor always goes to Scripture, and we must always remember that the power to change lives comes from the Word of God. Ephesians 4, 29-31, and I have them on the board. I may, as we're going through this, uh, move quickly over some of these, but you'll see them. Feel free to take a, a photograph if you want. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, through 31, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only, not just 95%, only 
such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Leviticus 19.16 You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Make no mistake, if you slander someone, you are in fact going against his life. Two passages, two sins in Scripture are identified specifically as targeting the Imago Dei that we are all created in. One, and we're familiar with this, is murder. Genesis 9-6. The other one is slander. And we'll see that in the next passage, next two passages we look at. James 3, 8 through 10. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. There's something wrong here when that happens, and it has happened. In the next chapter, James also writes, Do not slander one another, brothers. He who slanders a brother or judges his brother slanders the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to be judging your neighbor? Father, we ask that you would allow us to think clearly, that you would allow me to speak quickly, that you would allow us to cover and comprehend what we need to. We pray, Lord, that above all else, you would be exalted and glorified in this afternoon's session and that your church would be strengthened. Amen. Why address this conference? Uh, Why address this topic at ShepCon? Uh, We're not talking about uh, torts like assault and battery. We're not talking about uh, other legal issues. But we are talking about slander and defamation. How does that have a connection uh, with the topic of being ashamed of the gospel? A number of reasons, and to some extent this is going to provide you with uh, a roadmap, a table of uh, contents, uh, allowing you to understand where we're going to go so you don't lose hope if it seems to be dragging on too long. Um, there's been a recent, in the church in America and the church in the world, there's been a disregard over this particular passage. Um, it's hit with a vengeance over the course of COVID. Uh, and with the internet, with the advent of email, with the advent of social media, Uh, The opportunities for slander have increased astronomically and just as drastically the care that people take uh, has decreased. People will put something on social media through their iPhone that they'd never dream of doing 
if they were against or meeting with that person at a local church. Abuses of slander during the pandemic. Somehow or other over the course of the pandemic, uh, when we had to go inside, had to remain uh, in somewhat a condition of isolation for a while, people came out mean. People came out angry. And interestingly enough, uh, most of this seemed to be over the issue of Romans 13, and do we meet in person or not? How much authority do we allow the government to have over us? Those of us, like myself, who believe strongly that we should meet, totally supported the uh, re uh, the reconvening of worship services here at Grace Church. Uh, some of us have been labeled, even by some people that I helped train, as liars, murderers. One guy who's here from uh, uh, one of the churches overseas told me he had been called a hireling just for wanting to meet together. And some of those, some of us brothers, who have struggled with that position, have been falsely labeled as compromisers, unfaithful shepherds. Here's one that would be almost comical uh, if it wasn't as tragic. Hypocritical pigs and ignoramuses. And parenthetically, you will not find that. You'll find the exact opposite of that. One of the gentlemen back here is reading a copy of God versus government. If you look at page 73, you'll find the grace that James Coates and his fellow elders gave to those who struggled with that position. The functional unity of the true church has been fractured, and that's in direct violation of Ephesians 4 and John 17. Moving back again to the issue of whether we meet to worship or not, uh, Alexander Strauch points out at page 149 of the book on Acts 20, there is a danger of, quote, misguided, unbalanced Christians who label anyone who disagrees with them in the context over non-essential doctrines and their beliefs as false teachers or wolves. One uh, podcast on social media uses the term wolves, Wolves are not true believers, we go on to read. This mentality hurts the body of Christ because it leads to endless divisions and sex among true believers who should love one another despite their differences. And in fact, judging every disagreement to be heresy actually diminishes the reality of true heresy. If the cry wolf rings out too often, eventually no one will listen, even when the warning is real and the predator is at the gate. Part of what we're doing here is to prepare the church for future attacks. Make no mistake, COVID is ending. The storm is gathering for future attacks on the church on the issue of LGBTQ, on the issue of the extent to which we are woke or not. By the way, don't use the term woke as an epithet. It often is. Find out what the individual actually means 
if that term is being used. Go to the concept and pass the label. For training, assuming the best, thinking the best, I have to allow for the possibility that much of what we seem to have seen over the last few years may have grown out of a lack of training on the topic. I proposed it, suggested that we cover some things. What is slander? How is it dangerous? And I will tell you, it's one of the most dangerous things you can do. How is it distinct from legitimate polemics? Asked my son, who was a recent graduate of the Master's Seminary, did you guys ever, in any of your class, any of your classes, talk about the distinction between slander and legitimate polemics? How do you make sure that you're not crossing the line from where you should be when you're contending earnestly for the faith into where you most definitely do not want to go? There needs to be some healing. There was a hit piece just yesterday evening targeting Grace Church, Dr. MacArthur, and two of our pastors. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you, in connection with your work uh, in pastoral ministry uh, or growing out of that, have been, in your estimation, slandered? Yeah. Not surprising. Part of what we want to do today is to provide some resources, one of which uh, is really new, uh, and we'll talk about that more. But uh, go to the app, find my page, uh, and you'll go down, and there is a resource there that uh, Ed Wildey translated or put together. As far as we know, in this form, uh, it has not been made available in as readable a form as it is now since it was originally published in 1720. And the resource is titled, The Right Way to Shake Off a Viper. Part of what we're wanting to do for some of us, there needs to be a call to repentance. Some of us need to rethink how we've been conducting ourselves in social media, in our interaction with other believers, in our advocacy for a particular position, and make sure that we've purged out the evil that keeps us from being pleasing to God and from being persuasive. Now, what's the connection between slander and defamation and being unashamed? Dr. MacArthur, the text he preached from first hour, helped point out one of the connections, and that is one of the elements of suffering that we need to experience if we are unashamed of the gospel will we be that of slander. The outside world will be slandering us. It's unavoidable. Let's not make it something that happens internally and within the body of Christ. 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Three things come out of this. First of all, if I'm ashamed of the gospel, what has taken place is that I have judged it and found it somehow deficient. It doesn't measure up. 
You're like the man, Demas, who left Paul because he loved the world. One of the early historians of the church tells us he eventually became a pagan priest. You've judged the gospel and you've found it deficient. James tells us that that same process, that same mechanics of thought, is going to be behind the slander of another believer. If I'm ashamed of the gospel, I'm going to distance myself from its advocates. I read a hit piece like came out just yesterday, and I want to pull away from the people that are described as having done those terrible things. Don't buy into that. The text also tells us, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul says to Timothy, join with me. We are to suffer together. Nothing will destroy the unity of the true body of Christ, the unity that our Lord prayed for three times in his high priestly prayer, the unity that Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, a double imperative, the early part of that chapter, be diligent to maintain the bond of unity. Keep in mind, we're not talking about some kind of bond with those who have denied the fundamental doctrines of our faith. We're talking about the unity within the true church. Nothing will destroy that unity more than slander and defamation. You see that in Ephesians 4. You also see that if you look closely, uh, Titus 3.2 and Titus 3.10 will indicate that one of the ways a factious and divisive man will work best is if he engages in slander and defamation. One of the lessons, one of the lessons of the pandemic, it is not an overstatement. We are never more than one administrative mandate away from having to take the church underground. Unity and careful communication are particularly significant when the church must go underground. You have in front of you the statement from a biblical case for the church to remain open. We have always supported the underground church in nations where Christian congregational worship is deemed illegal by the state. When we wrote that, we had no idea that we would be seeing that necessity in South Africa and in Alberta, just over our northern border. Uh, what can we learn about the underground church? Probably two men uh, in church, recent church history know more about the underground church than anyone else. One of them would be Wan Mingdao, uh, who is behind much of the modern house church movement in uh, China. He's long since gone to be with the Lord. The other man is Richard Vermbrand. Vermbrand was imprisoned and tortured for approximately 14 years. He actually wrote a paper. Uh, it was sent to me early in the pandemic, and it was titled, Preparing for the Underground Church. Two points, two main points, and we'll zip through this, that have to take place, that has to take place if the church is to prepare for the underground church. And again, this is maintaining the unity. We need to learn to be silent. 
by our words, by our occupation, gentlemen, we tend to have to speak. And oftentimes we can fall prey to being overly loquacious. I spent years working as a lawyer, and we, know, we never, of course, fell into that trap. Um, learn to be silent. A Christian is a man who speaks little, but with great weight. He thinks if he should speak a word, whether it can harm or not. And the underground church, if you find yourself in the underground church in years, decades to come, every superfluous word can lead to harm. We do not take earnestly the word of Jesus who says that men will be judged not for every bad word, but for every useless. You may be more familiar with the term every idle word. So it is written in the Bible, useless talking in some countries means prison and death for your brother. A word of praise about your brother, if not necessary, may bring catastrophe. Praise, let alone slander. Keep your mouth shut and begin learning to do it now. Let a man be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Treacherous quarreling. Nothing is going to create treacherous quarreling more than slander, particularly slander on social media. Not the slightest quarrel, according to Vermbrand, is permitted in the underground church. Every quarrel in the underground church means arrests, beatings, and perhaps death. Vermbrand writes, I know of one town in Romania where there was a quarrel between two congregations. One was Baptist, the other was exclusive brethren. It was such a terrible quarrel that it resulted in all of both congregations being arrested. I know countries where many congregations are destroyed by a quarrel between two pastors or two elders of the church. It happens everywhere, but in an oppressive country, it means imprisonment and perhaps death. If oppression develops as we think it might on the church worldwide, we are going to need to be more careful to avoid unnecessary division, unnecessary quarrels within the body of Christ. Now, what are we talking about in defining the terms? Uh, Over years, there have been a number of times that in the context of a church discipline explanatory seminar, I've pointed out uh, that to avoid an action in tort for slander, everything everything stated publicly in the exercise of church discipline needs to be true. Truth is an absolute defense to a charge in tort of slander. What are the legal definitions? Slander, oral defamation, the speaking of false and malicious words concerning another. Defamation, the taking from one's reputation. The offense of injuring a person's character, fame, or reputation by false and malicious statements. The term is comprehensive of both libel and slander. Now, what's libel? Libel is a defamatory statement or a slanderous statement. Instead of saying it out loud, you print it or you post it on social media. 
Either way, it's defamation. Now, uh, there is something that uh, you may sometimes hear. You may hear the word true slander. Since truth is a defense to a charge of slander, we can think that that is an oxymoron. But when you consider it, sometimes the worst slander takes place when a statement of truth is made without giving the full story, all of the truth, or by twisting it out of context. We read of a man whose mother and father did not have intercourse until after he was born. Okay? And we, this is an illustration. John eight forty one. that man was slandered when people said to him, we are not sons of fornication. That, of course, is our Lord. They didn't tell the whole story. So a very subtle form of slander can take place by truth twisted and perverted or truth taken without the whole story leading to a negative conclusion. But gentlemen, I am far more concerned about the sins of defamation and slander than I am about the tort of defamation and slander. And as I've indicated, we've seen serious problems within the church. It's shaken even I cannot and will not go into any detail, but it has even shaken some of our leadership here within Grace Community Church. Basic definition. Many of you have this on your shelf. The Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible. This is as good, about as good as anything you'll find. To accuse falsely, this is the definition of slander, to accuse falsely, especially in a judicial situation, to speak against one for whom God speaks. When it is against God's messengers, it is against God himself and is so punished. It is placing human standards over God's judgment and is implicit blasphemy. It belongs in the category of those ultimate sins to which God gives men up. There is no single solitary Greek or Hebrew word translated as slander, Sometimes you'll find that it is depicted by fact or by example without necessarily being called that. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, and yet the facts are laid out. It's the inescapable conclusion uh, of the nature of the Godhead. Slander is demonstrated at times when it is not necessarily called such. There are at least five Hebrew words translated as slander, Rakil, I'll not trouble you too much with uh, my inappropriate Hebrew pronunciation, but I will give you the uh, sites. Regal, to walk about, adds element of slander. You see the uh, Strong's numbers up there. Lasan, used twice but perhaps one of the most significant uh, words that is used in the Old Testament. Psalm 101, verse 5. Deva, whispering defamation, evil report. Seker. In the Greek, 
Six Greek words will be used to uh, indicate slander. I think I may have seen possibly another one. Blasphemia. Name implies part of the problem. Railing or slander. Katalelos. Railer, defamer. Katalelia. It's used twice in the New Testament with 1 Peter 2.1 and 2 Corinthians 12.20. Katalaleo. This is the word that is used in James 4.11 that we've already seen. It's used three times in the New Testament. Interestingly, uh, Dr. Varner, uh, my colleague out at the college, let me know that this is the word used to translate the word lasan from the Septuagint as it's used in Psalm 101, verse 5. Theobolos. And I doubt there's a one of us who doesn't realize that this is where the term devil is going to come from. It's used 35 times in the New Testament, primarily of the devil, and it tells us something about the nature of this that we need to avoid. Dusphemeo. 1 Corinthians 4.13, uh, if you use the Textus Receptus, you won't find this word, but it's uh, present in the more recent uh, Greek translations. It also, a variation on that word, appears in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8, where Dr. MacArthur was preaching just this morning. The Old Testament denounces the sin of slandering God or other men more often than it does any other sin. Our senior pastor points this out. He preached two sermons, and the title says it all, The Blasphemous Sin of Defaming Others, Parts 1 and 2, in April and May of 1987. You'll find that same title used in his commentary on James 4.11. The same title is used for that chapter. It's prohibited multiple times in the New Testament. Now, we're going to boom through a few very significant points. Twelve reasons why slander is significant. Slander emulates the evil one. Thomas Manton refers to it as the devil's sin. Alexander Strauch here refers to it, if you bite and devour one another, page 79, slander is the devil's work. And you see the text up there in the scripture that will point that out. As I mentioned earlier, two sins assault the imago Dei, murder and slander. If you remember John eight forty four, our Lord indicates that the evil one, may the Lord rebuke him, is a liar and a murderer from the outset. Those dots connect. Slander grows out of pride and a lack of humility. Slander violates the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie about it. Proverbs 12 tells us that lying is an abomination to our Lord. We're very familiar with the idea and concept that homosexuality is an abomination to our Lord. So are false and deceptive business practices, and so are lies, particularly when they address and target other believers within the church. 
Slander is incompatible with Christ's command to love your neighbor as yourself. If I love you, I'm not going to slander you. I'm going to guard your reputation. I'm going to assume the best of you. If I know that you are erring, I'll call on you in love and grace to repent. Slander assumes out of pride the place of God, and it does so blasphemously and falsely. Again, that title that John used for those sermons, The Blasphemous Sin of Defamation, kind of sums it up and says it all. Slander dishonors the image of God in other created men. I found two quotes. I've put them up here. John Calvin, he then who truly worships and honors God will be afraid to speak slanderously of man. God is sensitive about his new, creature, his new creatures, and temperance of tongue against saints is dangerous. So take care what you do. Slander against a fellow believer let me say again, is one of the most dangerous things that any believer can do. Slander defames with information often obtained surreptitiously or in breach of trust. It is characteristic of a depraved mind and a mind of a man abandoned to the wrath of God and of men to be avoided. It divides the body. We've already talked about this. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. Do not destroy the body of Christ, and we can do that by slandering one another within the church. As discussed earlier, it's crucially dangerous for the underground church. Historically, slander has been used against the people of God. It was used against the prophets Jeremiah and Amos. It was used against Christ against Paul, against the early church. Nero tried to uh, shift the blame away from himself for the fire in Rome by saying that the Christians were responsible. Another incident of slander, you may not be aware of this, but the pagans were saying that when we celebrated the Lord's Supper, we were engaging in cannibalism. Slander... Make no mistake about it, gentlemen. It can discredit a man and eventually, if it is characteristic of his service, disqualify him from ministry. You cannot read Psalms 15 and 101 without coming to that inescapable conclusion. Now, one of the reasons why I think we've seen some slander take place, as I indicated earlier, is that people often don't have any idea or training about the distinction between legitimate polemic, contentious statements that sometimes have to be made. Jude, verse 3, were charged to contend earnestly for the truth. Sometimes people realize or they think that doing that leads them uh, to specific statements concerning other people. The two most polemic epistles in the New Testament, Jude, Second Peter, no individuals are mentioned. Character qualities is the focus. Eight ways slander is different from legitimate polemic. Legitimate polemic will have the purpose of leading to and persuading of truth. You see the quote to Martin Lloyd-Jones. 
legitimate polemic will be properly confirmed or confirmable as true, and slander will be ultimately false. Legitimate polemic will speak the truth in love. We are called to speak truth, yes, but to speak the truth in love. You want to see a good example of how to do it right? Uh, Get a copy of Fault Lines, our speaker for this evening. Does it exactly as it should be done? You'll see that at page 209 through 210, and again at 230. A classic book that many of us read when we were thinking about uh, just getting into ministry, The Minister as Shepherd. Charles Jefferson, every minister is, of course, under bonds to proclaim and defend what he conceives to be the truth, but he is also under bonds to proclaim the truth in love. If he struts like a rooster and exalts himself like a braggart, he may deceive the ignorant into thinking that he is a defender of the faith, but all who have discerning eyes know that he has surrendered it. Legitimate polemic will be characterized by humility and a sense of fiduciary responsibility. Slander, in contrast, will be characterized by a lack of humility, pride, and often envy. Legitimate polemic will be based on or consistent with proper authority and will be consistent with the whole counsel of God. Slander, in contrast, will usurp, will usurp proper authority. Diotrephes does that, Third John verses 9 and 10. He does not accept apostolic authority. In fact, he slanders the beloved apostle John. Legitimate polemic may present specific information based on following or advising of specific acts or the result of specific proceedings. Galatians 2, Paul exposes the lapse into hypocrisy of our beloved Apostle Peter and of Paul's close friend Barnabas. He did so not because he wanted to make them look bad, but because people needed to be protected. He did so under the illumination and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Later on, he identifies three men, and uh, Alexander Strzok and R.C. Sproul are both uh, in sync on this. Three men are identified who may well have been elders when Acts 20 takes place. And in Timothy... Paul identifies those men and indicates that, in effect, what we would now say, they have been defrocked because of their teaching. John Calvin says, By evil speaking we understand not the rebuke which is administered with a view of correcting, not accusation or judicial decision by which evil is sought to be remedied, not public censure which tends to strike terror into other offenders, Not the disclosure made to those whose safety depends on being forewarned, lest unawares they should be brought into danger, but the odious crimination which springs from a malicious and petulant love of slander. Sometimes legitimate polemic has to expose and call names as needed, but it's very careful, and it's after proper procedure has taken place. 
Legitimate polemic tends to be primarily, almost exclusively issue-oriented. Jonathan Edwards, probably no one in the history of the American church is more capable of proper polemic. Edwards illustrates the point that legitimate polemic will primarily address the conscience and not the person. He has a great line. We are to be like lions to men's consciences. In your preaching, in your teaching of the truth of God, let the lion roar to the conscience. But Edwards goes on to say, we are like lambs to men's persons. Proper balance. Now, four tips. What to do when you have been slandered. Rest in the promises of an omniscient, sovereign God. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 I love Wiest's expanded translation. For he himself has said, and the statement is on record, I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. So that being of good courage, we are saying, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What shall man do to me? Isaiah 54, 17. Those of you that are Baltimore Raven fans may remember when Ray Lewis uh, had all of his team thinking about this verse going into the 2013 Super Bowl. But taking it more significantly on a more uh, sober note, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. What kind of weapon are we talking about? Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord Their vindication is from me. Their vindication is from me. 1 Peter 2, 23, we're familiar with this. Our Lord, when he was slandered, when he was reviled, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Know that you're in good company. Job, Jeremiah, Christ, Paul, John, all believers, day and night, Even now, we are being slandered by the evil one. Again, may the Lord rebuke him before the throne of God. We read that in Revelation 12.10. Remember specific passages of Scripture, Luke 6.26. I love this one. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. A little bit of gallows humor there, but it helps ease the pain. Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets. Matthew 10, 24, 25, A disciple is not above his neighbor, his, his master. A slave is not above the master. A disciple is not above the teacher. If they called Christ Beelzebul, how much more will the members of his household be libeled and slandered? Remember the counsel on this issue from great believers. I've recently been doing some study of the life of William Carey. Carey was slandered as a bigot whose translations, quote, were exactly fit for worms. He didn't try to defend himself. He said, 
Those who are not prepared to follow the Lord through evil report cannot follow him at all. Comes with the territory, gentlemen. Jonathan Edwards. Edwards would say, and you can see this in his essay, uh, Christian's Cautions, improve it. Make something good come of it by making sure that what you are charged with is not true in the future. Cotton Mather, the right way to shake off a viper. Must reading, gentlemen. Must reading. Uh, Those of you who have friends who are in other uh, seminars, let them know about this. This is extremely encouraging. Uh, We owe a great deal of appreciation to Ed Wildey for helping bring this to our attention. Mather writes, Be concerned thus to glorify the name of your holy Lord and fear not. He will take a sufficient care of your name. I love this line. Contumlia sunt Christi insignia. I'm not a Latin scholar, but uh, it's translated, indignities are the insignia of Christ. Hey, it's just part of it. Now, if you've engaged in slander, if maybe you might have crossed the line, if you're wondering about this, we don't hate you. We want you to think about it, look at your life, move in the direction of repentance. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Consider your ways. Study the tongue and the horror of the particular sin of slander and defamation. We cite to Haggai 1 through 7, 1 verse 7, Ephesians 4, 31, James 3 and 4. Consider its consequences for your ministry. I've already mentioned Psalm 15 and Psalm 101. This is not to be taken lightly, gentlemen. Ask yourself, does your speech demonstrate worthless religion? A little bit of self-examination at times, we're called to engage in that. Or are we a believer, are we believers who really need to excel still more? The ongoing, continuing lifestyle of a believer, Martin Luther points this out uh, in his 95 Thesis, the first one, we need to be continually repenting of evil. Where necessary, take words with you and repent. And the quote there is, of course, Hosea 14, verses 1 and 2. Take words with you and return to Yahweh. Where division may have occurred because of slander and not necessarily your own. If you've listened to it, listening to slander, harboring harboring it, allowing it to grow in your own life can be as bad as making it. If that has been the case and it's caused division, seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Again, as I indicated earlier, the unity of the church is at one and the same time a vaccine against slander and it is a remedial cure for slander. We've been living in an age when vaccines are all the rage seeking the unity of the church, seeking reconciliation. And the quote is Matthew 5, where he talks about, if you know that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled to him. 
Wrapping it up, Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we have taken this period of time to focus on your teaching on this particular topic. Lord, I pray that the outcome of this would be greater unity within the church, greater love within believers, and a greater horror of the sins of defamation and slander and libel. Father, we we pray that you would be glorified in our lives and that they would be pleasing to you. Amen.